0: If you want to flip your bulletins back over, Uh, we are in the second week of our Fear Not series, and we've been talking about how the fears that you don't face, that they are eventually going to cause you to forfeit your future. And I think fear and anxiety is a very applicable topic for those of us who live in today's society. Uh, And you can, you know, argue and say, no, I don't deal with that. And the truth is you're a liar and don't lie in God's house, right? And so if you're sitting next to a liar, you just, you know, you're not going to get struck by lightning. And so you just scoot to to the other side. But like everybody deals with this. Statistics will show us that 40% of adult Americans have been prescribed medication for anxiety and depression. That's not including the 70 to 80% who will say that they deal with it on a daily basis. And so we have the most and we are the most stressed out. I think it's very telling that one of the top songs of 2016 on the Billboard Hot 100 list is literally called stressed out, right? 21 Pilots. And so we're going to be talking about fear and anxiety. And most importantly, what does God say about it? Like, how do we live in this world where it feels like getting up in the morning is a task? Maybe getting up and coming to church is a task. Maybe you're watching online right now and you feel a little bit convicted. That's, listen, that's Jesus, not me. And so I want to read to you this scripture that we've been reading at the beginning of every uh, message in this series. It's in Isaiah 35 and it says this, strengthen the feeble hands and steady the knees that give way, say to those with fearful hearts, listen, that's us, be strong and do not fear. Why? Your God will come. We're going to talk about this in a minute. The reason that we are able to live lives that are not riddled and plagued by anxiety and fear is because we have a God that will always come through. And so today I want to talk to you about what do we do when we are afraid of what God is calling us to do, when we are afraid of what God is, is, is asking us to do. Maybe you're here and you'd say, I don't even believe in God. The truth is this is going to be applicable to you because maybe you want to grow your business or maybe you want to have a healthy family or maybe you want to do something significant with your life, that this is going to apply to you, that the fear that you will not face, that it's always going to rob you of your future. Let me give you an example. I told you uh, the past couple times that I've spoke that I have a daughter. She's about two years old. Uh, about six months ago, it was summertime, right? And let's all just take a moment and just mourn the summer because it's awful outside right now. And so it's good to be in God's house. It's bad to leave God's house and go into the weather. But six months ago, it was glorious, and and Jesus was there, and like the sun was out, and and we were all like warm all the time. And so we went on vacation, uh, a couple of vacations, my family uh, and I, and we didn't have high hopes because we know my daughter is, is a little bit OCD, which, you know, that's a spiritual gift if you didn't know, uh, but a little bit OCD like me. And so she doesn't like being dirty, but we had really hoped that she would like the sand, right? Like you kind of change your expectations as you become a parent. Like you just realize there's no such thing as vacation anymore. Like somebody can babysit your kid and that is the closest to vacation that you get. But if you're still with your kids not like a true vacation before where you were like, I'm going to just eat when I want to eat and I'm going to go to bed when I want to go to bed and nobody's going to whine. And so anyways, that's a side note. But we took her to the beach and we were hoping that she would like the sand. And because she was born into sin with a wicked heart, um, she did not like, that was a joke right there, by the way. You're going to have to wake up with me a little bit because the 945 was a little bit dead. And so she did not like the sand. In fact, she didn't just not like the sand she could do without the sand ever having been created. Like, she would hope that there would be a blanket big enough on the beach that out of both peripherals, she could not see the sand, right? Like, if she even saw it, and it's so embarrassing because you got families, literally, like, they're all packed in, and everybody wants to be as close to the beach as possible. And I'm like, no, I have a kid. I'm going to just come all the way back here because, literally, she will touch it for a second. Right? Like, she just loses her mind until the very last day right? Like, if you have kids, you know, not even the very last day, the very last hour that we are on vacation, hmm, this sand isn't so bad. Mommy and daddy are not crazy, right? Like, she starts playing with it, She's like, this is kind of like Play-Doh. It's just, it's just you know, it runs through your fingers, and I'm going, what is wrong with you, right? Like, you have ruined vacation for me. I wanted you to enjoy the sand. I wanted you to play, and all you did is scream and eat all my french fries, the fears that you don't face, right? That like I'm thinking, you're not even allowed to go to the beach anymore. You're grounded. You are grounded from the beach. We're going to the Poconos next year, right? Like cabin where you can't even complain about anything. And so she don't like the snow. That's a side note. Uh but she had, she had ruined all of the fun that she could have had on vacation by, by not being willing to face the fear of the sand initially. And I would hate for us as a group of people to get to the end of our lives and realize that we wasted everything that God had planned for us because we sacrificed it at the altar of being temporarily comfortable. And so I want to talk to you today about learning how to become someone who can face fear and anxiety in the midst of what God Has called you to do. And so we're going to be reading in the book of Luke chapter one, and we're going to be reading about a woman named Mary. And maybe you've never been to church before. There's still probably a good chance that you know who Mary is, right? Like she was the mother of Jesus, and Jesus was born of, you know, the Virgin Mary. Maybe you've heard phrases like that, or maybe you've heard Christmas songs with Mary in them, and you know, you have no idea what it's talking about, but we all sing it because it's Christmas. And so we're going to be reading about Mary, and if you don't know anything about the Bible, there's two halves. There's the Old Testament, which is the first half, and it's God and his dealing with the people of Israel. Maybe you've heard of Israel before. And then there's the second half, and it talks about a man named Jesus and his life and his impact on the decades to come. And we're going to be talking in the second half, the New Testament, at the very beginning. In fact, we're going to be talking about where Jesus enters onto the scene. In fact, we're actually going to be talking about when Mary finds out that she has to be the mother of Jesus. Any moms at our campuses? Yeah. How would you like to be the mother of Jesus, right? You think your kids know everything. Jesus literally knows everything. So we're going to read. If you want to flip with me, it's also going to be on the screens. We're in Luke 1, chapter 1, verse 26. It says this, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Verse 28, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. But Mary, she was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Listen, you know Mary is a Philadelphia homegirl, right? Like, I don't know about you, but if somebody knocks on my door, I'm never like, I bet this is somebody with good news, right? It's always somebody trying to sell me energy to switch from Pico, right? Or like, a bill collector or something, like it's never good news. Like I can just imagine Mary and Gabriel comes up there and she goes, all right, what do you want? Right? Like <laughs> she is troubled by this. And it says, the angel says to her, don't be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. In other words, this is actually good news. It says you will conceive and give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. Okay. That would have really not meant a whole lot to her. Now he's going to explain He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Okay, what does that mean? What that means is that the nation of Israel has been waiting over the course of years and years and decades, over the course of millions and millions of people for one person who is going to set them free and Mary is going to be that person's mom. Like that is what Mary has has just found out. Listen to how she responds. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Kids, if you're in here, earmuffs, right? Like how, like we didn't even do anything, right? Like we've been good. How am I going to be, be, be pregnant? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit, he's going to come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the one to be born will be called the Son of God. Real clear, right? Verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive, she's actually already six months pregnant. I love what he says here. Verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. And then listen to her response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And so if there is anybody that we could read about that would have all of the right in the world to be anxious and to be fearful, it would be Mary, and yet her response is, okay. And so I want to learn three things, I believe, from Mary's life that if we were to do those things, we could learn how to push past the fear and push past the anxiety that we initially feel at the thought of doing something great for God. And so I want to talk to you about three don'ts to help you do God's will. The first one is this, don't deny it. That when you feel the fear and when you feel the anxiety, the initial idea of doing something great, don't deny it because I think if you deny it, you're doing one of two things: you're either one, you're trying to convince yourself that God never called you to it in the first place, or two, you've just subconsciously already accepted that you're just you're just not going to do it. Like, don't deny the fear you have initially. I had an experience where I denied my fear initially, and, and it did not turn out well for me. Let me tell you: about two and a half years ago, uh, I convinced my wife, and I word it that way because that's the way it happened. Um, that we should have our first kid, right? And kind of the way that it went, and by the way, if you're thinking about having kids, don't ever think this way. But what I thought was, so-and-so has a kid. It must not be that hard. What a dummy, right? <laughs> like, it's totally gonna be fine. People complain all the time about having kids. It can't be that hard. Everybody else is just babies, right? Like, we'll be we'll be fine. And so about 34 to 35 weeks into the pregnancy if you know your wife has been pregnant recently you know there's about 35 different apps that you download on your iphone to to know everything about the baby like it's to the point where you you can kind of you can facetime the baby right and like and so she knows everything about this child she's read every baby article that there is on the planet and she comes to me one day and she says i think this is going to be a little bit tougher than we thought she says, people are writing about, about how, how, how hard it is to be parents and their kids are waking up at 3 a.m. and you have this kid for 18 years and like you're responsible for it. And then when you unleash it into the wild, like whatever havoc it wreaks, it's your fault. She's like, Are you scared? No. I'm a man. I'm not scared of nothing. You see how small that baby is? That doesn't intimidate me, right? Like I thought I knew everything. Again, dumb, okay? And so then, Fast forward about four weeks later, we have my daughter, and at the time that that we have her, you know, in in the delivery room, by the time we get home and all of that, uh, we've been awake for about 48 hours, right? And so if you've ever been awake for about 48 hours, you probably don't remember being awake for about 48 hours. And so we reached the very end, and we got home, and I told uh, my wife, you know, you must have worked pretty hard because, like, there's a baby here now, and there wasn't earlier, and so, like, you go to sleep. I will stay up with this, with this crying baby, right? Because I'm a man. Like, I can do anything. I could stay up for the rest of my life if I needed to. Like, we just convince ourselves we have no limits. And I don't, I don't know about you, but that's how I get it. And so I was like, I'm totally fine. This tiny little baby can't do nothing to me, right? Mm. And so about three hours later, my wife gets woken up by crying, and it's not my daughter. Like, I'm going to just be real with you. I'm like on the ground. Like, she walks into the room, and I can't imagine what's going through her head, and I have my daughter in my arms, I'm going, shut up, please, shut up, it's been six hours, how are you still crying, what do you want? By the way, that doesn't end, keep being confused, and they keep crying, and you still don't know what they want two years later, but I had convinced myself that I was not afraid of having this child, and it actually put me in a place where I was convinced that there was no reason to be afraid, And that's how I ended up sobbing on my living room floor with my newborn daughter. You see, I think what happens is we convince ourselves that God has never called us to it in the first place. But the problem is that if we're going to live the type of life that God has called us to live, it is going to be two things. It is not going to be boring and it's not going to be easy. That he has called us to take up our cross and follow him. Side note, he's not called us to take an hour and set it aside every other Sunday morning so that we can come to church and worship here. He's called us to give everything that we have Because he gave everything for us. It's going to be difficult. And so if you're not at least at first tempted to tremble, there's a good chance that you've settled. Like if what God has called you to doesn't at least scare you a little bit, there's a good chance that you've settled, that you've convinced yourself that either God hasn't called you to it, or just honestly, you're just not going to do it. Like, God has, 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 has called you to tithe, and so you just kind of, you kind of push it. God didn't call me to tithe. It's really not that big a deal. Everybody else is going gonna, is gonna to give, and so it's, it's totally fine if I don't, right? Or, or God's called me to serve. It's not really that important. As long as I come to church, it's totally it's fine. And, 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 you know, church is, is for me after all. And so it's, what kind of big deal is it anyways? And so God really hasn't called me to it. Or maybe you're willing to, at least maybe you're a step further, and you're willing to admit God has called you to it, and you're just going to own up and say, I'm just not going to do it. And so I think when we experience the fear and anxiety, rather than push it down and try to pretend like it doesn't exist, we need to learn to relate to people in the Bible who went through the exact same thing. Can I tell you, every single Bible character who sometimes we read them as heroes, the truth is that they were just normal people like you and me who were willing to obey what God called them to, that they struggled with the exact same fear and anxiety. In fact, Jesus did. I want to read you a scripture in Luke 22. It's going to be on the screens. This is right as Jesus is about to be betrayed, he's about to be arrested, he's about to be put in prison, he's about to be uh, slandered, he's about to be mocked, he's about to be beaten and ultimately killed, and he goes to God before any of it happens, and he says, Father, if you're willing, would you take this from me? Like Jesus understood just exactly what God had called him to, and that it wasn't going to be easy. I think the initial fear of anxiety and fear is going to be natural in light of what God has called us to. Listen, some of you, God has called you to live in a way that's going to separate you from family and friends because you can't go to that bar anymore because you know what happens to you because you can't go to that place where you know that everybody shoots up because you know that you can't go there anymore because you know that you can't live in a way where you miss Sunday mornings regularly because it's going to negatively affect you. And so you're going to naturally be separated from family and friends. Can I tell you something? Mary could relate. That she was going to ha- listen, who in these houses is, is, is married or, or dating somebody right now? Okay. I was about to be like, who else isn't? And then look around, but I'm not going to do that. And so we do a little mixer in the lobby afterwards. But if you're dating or, or, or married to someone, imagine trying to tell them this. I'm pregnant. I didn't sleep with anybody else. It's, it's God. Like that just sounds like something you make up, right? Like at the last minute. Uh, God did it. <laughs> it wasn't me. Like, she was going to be risking her relationship with her fiance. One of the most important relationships in her life. She was going to be called to live in a way that her family and friends wouldn't even have been allowed to associate with her in public because she would have been considered unclean. She would have been considered dirty. All the while, she actually hasn't even done anything. God had called her to live in a way that was going to separate her from family and friends. And can I tell you, when God calls you to a life like that, he will ultimately see it through. Some of you, you're being called to live in a way where you're going to sacrifice the life that you thought that you needed and you thought you wanted for a life that God has for you. Can I tell you, I think too many times we want to live in this American Christian dream where we have two and a half kids and A fifteen hundred, you know, square foot house and you know, a dog or one and a half dogs or whatever the average is, and we make the average amount of money and you know we go to work and we clock in nine to five and you know we go for a drink occasionally and really we don't do anything significant, but it's the American dream. God has not called us to live an American dream. Can I just come out and say it? We can make America great again, and that's awesome, but He's not called us to live an American dream. He's called us to live a heavenly dream. And it starts right here and it looks like sacrifice. That God has called you to live. Can I tell you, Mary would have related to this. This is not how she saw her life playing out. Won't get knocked up by the Holy Spirit. I mean, literally, you can't even make this stuff up. She came to terms with it so quickly because I think she wasn't denying the fear and anxiety that she had. I think she could have very easily pushed it down and said, that was a hallucination. It's really hot out here. There's no such thing as the angel Gabriel. I'm definitely not pregnant. I don't feel pregnant. I don't pee on that stick, right? I think it would have been really easy for her to deny it, and it would have robbed her of the very future that God had for her. And so for some of us, very practically, we need to come to terms with what God has called us to. Some of us this morning, we've, we've kind of pushed down what we believe God has called us to. Some of us, you've been, you've been called to tithe and be generous with your finances in a way that, quite honestly, makes you feel uncomfortable. Some of you, you've been called to serve in a way that's going to radically change guests that come into our building because God has gifted you you in that way. Some of you, you've been called to, to live a life or to run a business in a way that's very abnormal but it's gonna bring God glory and ultimately he's gonna make you successful. And the first step is not to deny the fear that comes from the calling. I think secondly, we learn not to distort what God has called us to. I think sometimes we get so anxious about what God has called us to and we assume the end result And so naturally, we don't ever get started. Like, I'm this way with puzzles. It's going to sound silly to you, but this is really serious for me, right? Every couple months, I see my wife, and I see the look in her eye, and I know it's puzzle season, right? Like, she loves board games, and that's going to be great for when my daughter knows how to play any other game besides wreck everything, okay? But she loves puzzles. Can I just tell you, puzzles have been sent from the devil to steal, kill, and destroy everything good in your life. In Jesus' name, right? Like, I don't think about, like, the fun of, like, putting on a song and, like, you're going to find the edge pieces first and you're going to, what I think about is the end result. This puzzle is going to sit on my table for six months because I'm awful at puzzles. Anybody else? Like, I just hate that. Like, I want to push it in a drawer and now that my daughter can reach things, right? She's going to play her game of wreck everything, and I'm going to start the puzzle all over again, and I'm going to ground her until she's 10, right? Like, I just, mentally, I can't handle that. And my wife doesn't, listen, she doesn't go for like the 250 piece, like the 500 piece. She's a champion. She don't get out of bed for less than 1,000 pieces, okay? And so, like, I do the math, right? I'll calculate it. If it takes me an hour to get four pieces, which is about right for me because I'm, Terrible at puzzles. I just, my, and so four pieces, an hour, thousand pieces, too much time. Let's not even do it. Babe, you want to go shopping? Here's some money, right? Like, I will try not to even start the puzzle to begin with because I'm so anxious about the end, and I think this is how we get with God that we think we know exactly how it's going to play out, and so we're not even going to start. Like, let me tell you how this looks God, you've called me to tithe. Well, I guess I'm not going to be able to save any money, and I'm not going to have enough, and I'll probably lose my job, and eventually I'm going to be broke and homeless, and my family's going to make fun of me, and how unsuccessful I've been. God, is that what you called me to? Listen, don't lie. This is how your brain works, too. Like We, we assume we know how it's going to end, and so we never get started, and what we do is we distort what God has actually called us to do. What did God call Mary to do? He called her to, to bear a child. What might she have thought and distorted it to be? That she was going to have to be the perfect mom. Like, you can just picture it now. You think your kids act like they know everything? This is God. Can you imagine Jesus as a baby? Wagging his finger at mom. That was a bad parenting move. I'm telling dad. Right? Taking notes, report cards. Like, I can't even imagine having to have given the task of raising literally the God of the universe. And so Mary, she doesn't get so wrapped up in what she thinks is going to happen. All she does is she says yes to the very first step, and instead of distorting it, she very realistically says, God has called me to do A. I'm going to do A and not assume that it's B and C and D and E and F to the point where I get so worried that I don't even begin. Like some of us, we, we what-if ourselves right out of the will of God. And I tell you, the anxiety and the fear that, that you feel It rests in the what ifs. What if I leave that person that God's calling me to leave right now and I never meet somebody and I turn 30 and then I definitely don't meet somebody, right? And then I turn 40 and then I get like 10 cats and I live, right? Like this is where our brains go. Like I know exactly how it's going to play out, God. There's no way you've called me to that. There's no way you have something better for me. We what-if ourselves right out of the will of God. Some of us, we've given up on inviting our family and our friends because of of what-ifs. Some of us, we've given up on stepping out in that area of our job where we know we would be more successful because of what-ifs. Can I tell you something that I have learned to do for myself every morning before I start my day is this. I pray a really simple prayer. God, if you have brought me to it, you're going to have to see me through it kind of like giving him all the responsibility. God, if you have brought me to it, you're going to have to see me through it. I don't know A, B, C, D, E, and F. I don't know all of the steps. I know the very first step. And so I'm going to trust you. And actually, I'm going to put the responsibility on you because I know that you want to take it anyways. God, if you have called me to it, you're going to have to see me God, if you've called me to walk away from family and friends, you have better have something set up for me. On the other side, the good news is Proverbs eighteen twenty four says this, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and his name is Jesus. God, if you have called me to walk away from the plans that I have, you better have something better prepared for me. Jeremiah 29, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to ruin you. God, if you've called me to walk away from that relationship, you better have something else for me. On the other side, Romans 8.28 says that I know that all things work together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. I'm preaching better than you're clapping. Listen, if God has called you to it, he's going to see you through it. Don't distort what he has called you to do. Step into the very first step that he's given you. And then finally, I think we learn not to dwell in it. Sometimes God calls us to something, and we kind of wait around in this fear and anxiety. I think sometimes we wait so long that we've gotten ourselves to a point where we're never going to take that next step. Like, we just dwell in this fear. I don't know if you remember being a kid, and you you had a Band-Aid on your arm, and your parents told you that it'd be better if you just ripped it off first, and maybe you were that kid. I definitely was where I had to learn for myself. One hair at a time, right? Right? Uh, uh, uh. It hurts, right? But this is better. It's better than ripping it all off at once. Woo! Right? Like one. I think sometimes the very best thing that we can do for ourselves when God calls us to something is just to say yes right away before we can question and before we can get so anxious and before we can get so fearful because we know that God has come through for us in the past and why wouldn't he now? I love verse 37. It says, For no word from God will ever fail. It's as if the angel Gabriel is saying, this is going to happen. God's will is going to be done. The only question is when we look back on this story in the end, are you going to be the person who helped get God's will done? Are you going to be the person who stood in the way? Like the greatest disappointment we will ever face is coming to the end of our lives and realizing that we had wasted all of the future that God had for us. That we were put here for a very specific purpose. And instead of embracing that, we chose to dwell in our fears. Listen to Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. I'm going to be honest with you. It doesn't even sound like Mary's excited. It sounds a little bit like, okay, I'll do it. I don't know if you have kids, but when I get my daughter ready in the morning, I've learned one thing she needs to eat her yogurt before she goes to school or she is going to be a train wreck, right? I've tried it on Fridays, home alone with her. I'm like, you're fine. You don't need yogurt. You've had so much to eat the day before. You're... Don't judge me. Look at me in that tone of voice. And so I tried it once and she was so mad at me afterwards. She was real happy at first because she didn't even want to eat your yogurt. And I was like, all right, whatever, right? Then like an hour later, she's looking at me like I'm the devil, dare you not feed me my yogurt you know I need my sustenance right and so I've decided she needs to eat her yogurt before she goes to school because I'm not gonna do that to the wonderful childcare people that she goes to right I'm gonna feed her your yogurt listen if you have kids you know she does not always want to eat her yogurt and I have decided it does not matter If you want to eat your yogurt, you are going to eat your yogurt before you go to school. Listen, I don't need you to be happy to get you in the car and get you to school on time. And the truth is, on the other end, she knows that she's better off for it, but in the moment, she whines and she complains. Can I tell you, when you've taken the first step and you've walked through what God has for you, and you get over here, you look at yourself and you say, how ridiculous I was to whine and complain about that. God had the best in store for me. I'm so glad that I just said yes and walked with it. I think so many times we miss out on what God has for us because we dwell in our fear. Listen, we learned this a few weeks back. The time between when God asks you to do something and when you actually do it is called compromise. The longer you stay in compromise, the less likely that you actually doing it is gonna come through. And the longer you stay in compromise, the more time that the devil has to put a foothold. And can I tell you it is a dangerous place to be in? Not just for the situation that you're in and what God has called you to, but for your faith. Because the longer you stay in that in-between spot when you know what you're supposed to do and you just won't do it, that's where you walk away from God. God's called me to tithe. I don't really know. I'm kinda. Can he really call me? 10%? That's so much money. I could buy a boat or something, right? God's asked you to to, to leave that relationship at least for now, and, and you just I can't do it. Can't do it, I'm stuck here. And I tell you, when God calls you to something, the easiest thing is to say yes right away. Don't give yourself time. The longer you allow yourself, the greater the chance that the enemy grab a foothold I want to leave you with one thought and I hope it's something that bothers you hope it's something that maybe keeps you up, I don't know I believe the truth about our lives is that our yes always brings God's best every time you might try to convince yourself otherwise but everything good that has happened in your life or has been brought to good in your life is because of God and the more that you say no, the more you're actually keeping yourself from happiness. The best kind of life is one that's lived risky and dangerous for the will of God. That you recognize that I'm only here for a very short amount of time, and the older I get, the shorter it seems. That your yes always brings God's best. And so I think as we face our fears, as God calls us to do great things, listen, if God has called you to live for him in the world and the society that we live in, can I tell you, it will not be easy. And if it is easy, there's a good chance that you've settled. But if it's not easy, that there's good news, that the Bible says that there is comfort in the presence of God, that there is joy in the presence of God, that even though it doesn't feel good to you, it's ultimately good for you. As we learn not to deny our fears, but not to distort them, not to dwell in them, as we step out in what God has for us, can I tell you what would happen? If we were a group of people in Plymouth Meeting, in Limerick, in Royersford, here with me, if we were a church that when God asked us to do something, we just said yes, can I tell you what would happen? You would see a move of God like we've never seen before. You would see the greater Philadelphia absolutely changed. You would see marriages that you thought never had a shadow of a doubt of lasting being absolutely restored. You would see parents living and existing with kids still, right? Like, best I can give you. <laughs> I believe we would see our, our nation begin to shift. If we were a people who said, who said yes, would you stand with me at all of our campuses You see, the reason we're in a room like this is because there was a small group of people about eight years ago that said yes. That there were a few people that when God called them to do something ridiculous, insane, they said yes. Thank God they didn't give themselves too long to think about it. And that the reason that you're in a building like this and the reason that I can even talk about a topic like this is because you're in a room filled with people that used to be anxious, but they're not any longer. That waking up every morning used to be painful. That it used to be, maybe you woke up in the morning and you started drinking right away because you can't imagine a life where you wake up and you don't drink right away. I'll tell you the reason that I can talk about something like this in a room like this is because I believe that there is a God who ultimately can set you free from fear and anxiety. Listen, if you wake up every single morning and you think that it is your responsibility to keep the world turning on its axis, if you think it's your responsibility to make sure that everything that happens in your life is as a result of something that you've done, if you think it's your responsibility to keep your kids following Jesus or to keep your kids off of drugs, if you think it's your responsibility to get that promotion, if you think everything relies on you, then of course you're gonna be anxious. And the only difference between maybe you and me that there was a time in my life where I was riddled with anxiety and I just stopped running from God. Maybe you don't know anything about God. Let me explain. The Bible says that there is a good and a perfect God and it does not take us long to recognize that we are not good and perfect people, that I've messed up, that I've hurt people, that I've hurt myself, that I've made mistakes, that I don't get to be on this stage because I'm a perfect person. And the good news is you're not in a room filled with perfect people. You're in a room full of people that know that they're jacked up. And in the presence of God, they can be honest and they can receive healing, the Bible says. And so if there's a good and a perfect God, it shouldn't take us very long to be willing to admit that we don't deserve to be with him. The Bible says that heaven is eternity with God and hell is eternity separated from God. And so if what my actions and my decisions have earned me is hell, that there's a problem. But the Bible says that God, he had a good and a perfect backup plan. Listen, some of you, you're so overwhelmed with anxiety because you're afraid that you're not enough. Can I give you good news this morning? You're not. It's the worst preaching you ever had, preacher. The good news is you're not and you don't have to be. See, the gospel of Jesus is that God, he had a backup plan. What he did is he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus came to this earth. Listen, he stepped out of perfection in heaven and came to live amongst wicked people that spat on him and beat him and crucified him, and he died for them. The Bible says that he lived 33 years, and during those 33 years, he lived a perfect life, one that you and I very easily could say we could never do if we had been given 100 tries. And it says that at the end of his life, the religious people of that time, that they were so angered by him that they were so brought about in their hy- hypocrisy that they, they chose to, to plan against him. It says that they, they bribed his best friends, one of his best friends, to betray him. It says that in the dead of night that they went off into a garden where there were no people, they arrested him, falsely accused him, put him on trial. Even the people who were running his trial couldn't find anything that he had done wrong. But because of the threat of riots, they surrendered him over. It says that he was put in jail. It says that he was slandered. It says that he was beaten. It says that they blindfolded him and they spat on him. And they said, prophesy, teacher, which one of us spat on you? That at any moment he could have gotten up and walked away. It says that he was led to a Roman cross. Listen, there were over 2,000 people documented in secular history that died on a Roman cross. And we only talk about one. His name is Jesus. The Bible says that, that he hung on a Roman cross for us what happened when he died was spectacular. That because we don't deserve to be with a good and a perfect God because we've messed up and he's perfect that there is a problem and it says that when Jesus died on that cross that he took the wrath of God that was intended for you and I that all of the shame that I should feel about the mistakes that I've made all of the pain that I should have to endure my past that should haunt me every morning that I get up that I'm freed from it. The Bible says that when I breathe my last and I'm met with a good and a perfect God, I don't have to be afraid because it says I get to hide in front of a good and a perfect Jesus. It says that after he was crucified, that three days later he raised from the dead and what the communication was is that your life was supposed to be dead, but there's hope. I want to encourage you with this. And I'm about to give everyone at each of our campuses the opportunity to decide to follow Jesus. The Bible says that if you would confess with your heart and believe in your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you would be saved. It's as simple as that. When I offer my daughter a gift, she has to receive it. There's a gift being offered to you right now, but you need to receive it. And I want to encourage you with this, that the decision that you're about to make, it's not going to just change your life. It's going to change the lives of your kids. It's going to change the lives of generations. It's going to change the greater Philadelphia area by one decision that you decide to make in a moment and so at each of our campuses with your eyes closed and your heads bowed we do this every week because the good news of God is too great I can't stand up here on stage and not give you a chance to respond to it I just can't in good conscience and so in a moment I'm going to ask you to do something really bold If you're in our houses and you would say, I need to follow Jesus, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand with nobody looking around at all of our campuses right now. And the reason I'm going to ask you to do that is because the moment that you leave this building, the enemy of your souls is going to try to convince you that nothing happened, that you're the same, that you'll never change, that there's no new life for you, that you're just the old same person that did that yesterday, that did that last week, that did this with those groups of people over the past months, that you're never going to change and you're going to say no Because in that moment, on December 11, 2016, I decided to change my life forever by giving it over to Jesus. In this moment, don't think about the person next to you. Listen, their opinion is not going to matter when you have breathed your last and you're met with a good and a perfect God. You're not going to get to stand behind the shadow of their grace. That it is you and Jesus right now. And so I'm going to count to three. And if you would say that is me, I'm going to have you raise your hand across all of our campuses right now ready one, two, three. if that's you I see you there I see you over there I see you in the back come on anybody else anybody else that would say that's me today is my day December eleventh, two 2016 I need to follow Jesus listen the only reason we're clapping is because we know what it feels like to be where you've been is there anybody else before I move on let's pray in God's house God we're so thankful for what you're doing in our presence We trust you. We put our futures in your hands. God, right now, we choose not to live lives riddled by anxiety and fear. We don't deny that it's there, but we don't distort what you've called us to. And ultimately, we don't dwell in it because we know that you have good and perfect plans for us on the other side. We're so excited right now for the person in Limerick who raised their hand. Come on, church. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate with them. And God, ultimately, we thank you for what you've done in our own lives. Lord, would you never let us take it for granted? Would it never be something that we just wake up and forget? Lord, would it be something that stirs our hearts? Would you not allow us to be complacent? Would you consistently remind us that we used to be where 4.8 million people are? God, would you burden our hearts? Would it keep us up at night? Lord, we thank you. We accept the mission that you've given us. And We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, church.